uh, know it will be good. So, you heard Joe say it, you've heard Brad say it, you've heard me say it. A people called out of the world to God, it's the church, it's the ecclesia. Um, I guess that's the theme of our, of our series that, we, that we're going through. You know, looking at what a healthy church should be, and obviously a healthy church can't be that apart from healthy members. And so we're continuing to look at who and what we ought to be. In the church, Jesus said, my people are not of the world because I chose them out of it. It's what he did. John 15, 19. We are indeed strangers, aliens, and exiles. And we feel that. We know that. We love that. We're not here to stay. We're here to go. We get that. We understand that. Uh, it's one of the filters we use to process all of life. It's a quick sprint to the hole in the ground, right? Some of you aren't convinced. You're still young. Um, but I can see the end. Social Security Administration says I have 15 years left. So I can see the end, and I like it. I like it. I like knowing I'm close to home because I agree with the Apostle Paul. It's all gain. So understanding that, that, that we are aliens, we look at everything differently, especially money especially worth, especially possessions. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning. And obviously this is a huge thing in the life of the true believer. We talked about it last week. It's not your money. Whose is it? It's God's. It's not yours. None of it's yours. You don't own anything. God is the sole proprietor of all that you own. You don't own any of it. You're supposed to simply be his employee to manage it. Um, you know, I once heard a guy say one time, if, if you um, managed your employer's money like you're managing God's money, would you still have a job? I, I don't think we take this serious enough. I don't think we take our stewardship seriously enough. It's not ours. It's not ours. It belongs to the Lord. We talked about it last week. God gives a lot of ink to this, and we know why. Because we are the way we are. We're prone to hear the message of the world and live by it, which is what? We talked about it last week. What are the two messages of the world with respect to money? What are they? you got to buy this, or you got to hoard that, Right? Buy it or hoard it. That's the message. That's always the message. It's never not the message. And God calls His people to be what? Free-hearted and open-handed. Completely opposite. It's not all about us. I don't, you know, it's not about Jim getting something newer and shinier and better. It's about Jim honoring Christ Jesus with all that He is pumping into my life. It's all God's. And this foundational truth, if we, if, we, if we take this on board, right, it changes everything. If we see it as God's, we can be open-handed. We can be generous. We can be charitable. We can be selfless. We can be sacrificial. Right? We can be sacrificial with what God has entrusted to us. This, this uh, 
this principle that interjects a ton of discipline into our financial lives. And I might say even a little fear and trembling if we are thinking rightly about it. So we talked about it last week. The New Testament Christian is called to do three things with our money. It's not hard. It's not complicated. We're supposed to take care of our family. We're supposed to pay our taxes. And we're supposed to give. It doesn't say accumulate. It doesn't say that. God doesn't say accumulate. God doesn't say get engaged in materialism. Three things. Just three. This is not complicated, right? I love, I love the Bible. It's so simple. You have to be a PhD to make it complicated. It's very simple. We are not, talked about it last week, we don't give because we're under law. We give because we love Him. And if you're a lawgiver, you say, well, I give my 10% because I'm a self-righteous Pharisee. I don't really like doing it, but I do it. Well, I, I said last week, stop doing it. That doesn't please God. We talked a lot about that last week. We're not lawgivers. You know, as John Piper says, I just want happy checks. Happy checks. That's all we want. Right? Happy checks. We are not lawgivers. We don't need calculators when it comes to how we'll honor God in my finances. We don't need a calculator. We just need to know what's in our heart. And that's what we'll talk about this morning. MacArthur said it so well. John MacArthur, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And really, this is the New Testament. If we love him, we'll give. If we don't, we won't. It's just, it's just true. If we love it, you can't stop a true born-again believer from bringing a worthy offering. You can't stop us. We talked about it last week, right? Jesus shed his last drop of blood. Shall I not give the hundred pounds, as Mueller's seamstress said? Shall, shall I not bring a worthy offering, even a sacrificial offering? Should I not? Of course we should. But we don't do it out of law. We do it because we love Him. We saw those, those Old Testament texts last week. We saw the Old Testament Jews bringing in a free will offering for the tabernacle. You remember what we saw over and over again? A willing heart, a stirred heart, a being moved in spirit and being moved in heart. Hey, don't bring an offering here unless that's true of you. We don't need it. We don't need it. Don't dare throw anything in this offering plate that doesn't come from the bottom of your heart, right? God doesn't need it, and we don't need it. I don't think it pleases God. It's got to come from the heart. You remember David, how David talked about his offering to construct the temple. I love this. He said, with all of my ability and with all my delight, I have provided for the house of my God. Is that how it is when you throw your offering in? With all of your ability and all your delight. You know, happy checks. <laughs> happy checks. Don't bring an unhappy check up here. We don't want that. We don't want that. We don't want anything to go in the offering plate that doesn't honor God. And only happy checks honor our Creator. 
We saw that great text. Of course, this is the, the, to me, this is the text that governs all Christian giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. He who sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Let each one do what? Just as he has purposed what? In his heart. Not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I'm just going to ask you this question. It just sounds better to, to reap bountifully. Am I right or wrong? Doesn't that sound better than to reap sparingly? It's the ball's in your court. God says, you decide what you're going to do. Yeah, you're my employee. You're my creature. You're my steward. But the ball's in your court. You decide if you're going to give with all your ability and all your delight. Or if you're grudgingly going to throw in a few bucks. Some spare change, you know, the spare change mentality. And I, I know about this. I used to be this guy. I was raised in the church. And before I was truly converted, you know, I'd throw in a little bit. I didn't like it. But I'd do it. And talking about money and giving, C.S. Lewis says it perfectly. He says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you'll get the wrong answer. So I'm just going to say, there might be some in here, probably are, who you're doing your sums wrong. You've forgotten that it's God's, and you've forgotten you're a steward. You really have. You've forgotten these biblical truths, that it's God's, and you are a steward. Lewis is saying, if your presuppositions are wrong, if your logic's invalid, your methodology is faulted, and your arithmetic is flawed, you will always get the wrong answer. Some of us are probably doing our sums wrong. And I'll just, I'll just own it. I've been guilty of blatant mismanagement at times in my life. Blatant mismanagement of what God has entrusted to me. You know, it goes back, you know, we had that series on the attributes of God. And I kept saying the same thing to you. You know, you have to reckon with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. You really do. And what I want to say in, in the context of giving, you have to reckon with the magnitude of what it means to be God's steward. I mean, we either take these things seriously or we don't, right? And, and I'm just going to exhort you to take these things seriously. And we talked about it last week, you know. You almost have to have one foot figuratively already in eternity to, to, to have an appetite for what Jesus is saying. Give. Sell what you have and give. Give open-handedly and abundantly, sacrificially, proportionately, regularly, on, based on biblical principle. You know, Lewis says... He says, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how much you should give. I think you should simply give something that challenges you. Something that pushes the envelope. Now, we know C.S. Lewis is not the greatest theologian in the world, but that's a, that's a pretty fair statement. That's a pretty good statement. We ought to make ourselves a little uncomfortable. Right? And listen, I, here's what I'm saying. This is not about the church needing money. I don't ever preach a sermon about the church needing money. Okay? If God keeps this church open, that's to His glory. If He shuts it down, that's to His glory. It's not about us needing money. It's about what you're going to do before God with what He's entrusted to you. It matters. It matters. It's a big deal. We talked a lot about last week how much the Lord addresses money and wealth 
throughout the scriptures. So, I'm going to make you work a little bit. I'm going to read two texts. Here's the spectrum. Here's the giving spectrum. Okay, I'm going to read these two texts. This is the giving spectrum. And you tell me, you don't have to tell me, you decide in your own heart and mind where you land. Okay, here are the two spectrums. First, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 12. I'll pick up here in verse 16. If you want to go there, Luke, Luke chapter 12, verse 16. And Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my stuff? <laughs> and he said, this is what, in verse 18, And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, So you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the other, here's, a, here's another, here's a woman who was at the other end of the spectrum. Mark 14, Mark 14, Mark 14. I'm going to pick up here at verse 3. You know the text. This is Mary of Bethany, Mark 14, verse 3. And while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume of pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignant, remarking to one another, Why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. And I love verse 9. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached, nobody forgets this. Nobody will ever forget how this woman loved me. You think this matters to God? Listen. It's not about the church. It's not about the church needing money. It's about your stewardship before God. That's what it's about. And Jesus says, wherever the gospel's preached, no one will ever forget how this woman loved me with the most precious thing she owned. So, here's the hard question. Where do you fit on the spectrum? Where do you fit on the spectrum. Are you more like this man or are you more like this woman? And there's a whole spectrum here, isn't there? There's a whole spectrum here between those two extremes. Well, we know what, back to Luke 12, we know what Jesus says about the guy who built the barns. God says to him, verse 20, you fool, exclamation point, you fool this very night, your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm your pastor, one of them. What I'm going to exhort you to do is make it your business to be rich toward God. Everything else comes second with respect to finances. Everything else comes second. Be rich toward God, right? Provide for your family. Pay your taxes and give. This is not complicated. It never is with the Lord's words. 
I love, we see, we see in Mary of Bethany this transcendent prudence, right? So year's wages, whatever year's wages are for you, that's what she gave. A year's wages, have you ever given a year's wages? Ever? Transcendent frugality, transcendent prudence. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis, back to C.S. Lewis, if you discover you're doing your sums wrong, the best thing to do is stop. Stop doing them wrong. If you're here today and you're doing them wrong, stop. You can do them right. You can get, you can get honest before God, right? You can get honest and, and, and just bring what's in your heart. Whatever's in your heart. This is very telling, isn't it? It's very telling. That's why God gives so much ink to this issue. So I suspect some of us need to start over. We don't want to be a fool in God's eyes, right? That does not sound wise to me. And there's a lot at stake here. Matthew 6, 24. You know what Jesus says. You can't serve God and money. There's no middle ground here. Jesus doesn't offer any middle ground to stand. There's no middle place to be. It's money or it's God. This is why he talks about it so much. And he doesn't, again, he does not offer a middle place for us to stand. So there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake here according to the word of God. And God lets us decide what we'll do with Colossians 3.2. We looked at that last week. God says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And one of the principal ways this is fleshed out in our life is how we're handling our money. Are we looking at, 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 the, at the world or are we looking at God and all of his promises about that unfailing treasure in heaven, right? About purses that do not wear out. What are we looking at? And Jesus said it, didn't he? For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. You know, I like what MacArthur says, you know, what you love, it's in your checkbook. It's on your visa statement. Right? What you've really given yourself to, what you're really pursuing, That is, in large part, very true. So the question this morning is, who or what has our heart? That's the question. Who or what has our heart? Are we laying up temporal treasure or are we laying up treasures in heaven? So here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line about money. It's not about money. Your money's not about your money. Your money is about God. Your money is about God. This is the overriding reason God gives so much ink to this issue. Your view of money, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your priorities with your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your anxiety about financial security, it's a reflection of your view of God. Your practice in giving your money, it's a reflection of your view of God. Do you get the point? 
How you earn, spend, save, and give and think about money is a reflection of your view of God. Again, John MacArthur says it so well. He says, the credibility of your Christian profession is at stake in how you handle your money. We, we can't stoop in this church to talk about the church budget. I'm not going to stoop to talk about that. It's not unimportant. But what's really important? That we're loving God. That's what's important. You know, that's how to have a healthy church. You got a lot of people loving God. Whether we have any money in the, in the bank account or not, that's a secondary issue. But I think if we're loving God, there'll be some money in the bank account. I think. I think that'll happen. In fact, I know it will happen. So what does your handling of your money say about your Christianity? What does your giving say about how you think? About God, what does it say about how you think about your stewardship? I gotta say, I just gotta keep saying this, right? I gotta keep saying this. He owns it all, and you're a manager. You, you know, if you get that, if you can get that in your head, right? It just makes things a lot simpler. You don't have to wrestle so much with things. Lewis says, if you're still doing your sums wrong, today God is telling us to stop. If you, kept, if you walked in here and you're doing your sums wrong, you know, if you're a lawgiver or you're not a giver, God is challenging you. And he's challenging the rest of us who are givers. Why don't you give more? I, I remember I was writing a sermon in Italy on this one time, and God slapped me upside the face and said, why don't you give more? And I realized there was only one answer. I don't want to. That was the only real, true answer. I don't want to. I mean, I, you know, that's always the answer, right? Unless we're living at subsistence level. That's always the answer. Or we have other priorities, you know? That's always the answer. Yeah, I'm not the brightest guy in the class. Brad can attest to that. But uh, I, did get that, I did get that message. You know, I was reading about some of these things, and I love what one guy said. <laughs> I love this. And it's true. In less than one second after you die, you will know exactly how you should have handled every dollar God put in your hand. It'd be less than one second. You will know how you should have been, what, what kind of steward you should have been. You will know without any shadow of a doubt how you should have handled the money that the Lord entrusted to you. So if we're still building barns, if we're still laying up temporal treasures, if we're still prioritizing things of the world, we need to stop. We need to drive a stake in the ground today, right? We're going to drive a stake in the ground today. We're not going to be fools anymore. We're going to hear what God says to us, and we're going to obey the Word of God. Whatever I can muster up, whatever love I can muster up in my heart for Christ, that's going to be, that's going to be the measuring rod for what I give. It's not whether the church needs money, and it's not the tithe. Tithe is a good thing. It's a good place to start. 
It's certainly not the place to end, in my view. So why do we not need to build barns? Why does the ecclesia not need to build barns? Because our God is God, right? I have it on my wall. I've shared this with you before. Job 25, 2. Dominion and all belong to him. That's why I can give. That's why I can give freely. Dominion and all belong to God. <laughs> if I don't believe that, I can't give freely. I can't. I'm all bound up. And we'll talk about some of these things as we get into our text, which is going to be Matthew 6. I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to spend some time there today. Matthew 6. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Oh, guess what? He's talking about money. But money is never about money in the Bible. It's always about God. And if you think it's, if you think it's uh, about anything less than that, you've been deceived. It's, it's, about, it's always about God. So we're in Matthew 6. And in short, okay, there's two, there's two problems. There's two problems for those in the church with respect to giving. Two, there's at least two. The main ones that we'll talk about today. One, I can't bring a worthy offering in because that's my treasure. I like that. I like that big pile, right? Or it's my trust. I trust in that. I don't really trust in God. I trust in that, that pile of money. I trust in that. It's my treasure or it's my trust. And that's what Jesus is going to address in the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to pick up here, Matthew 6, verse 19. So the first question is, is it a treasure issue? Why don't you give more? Is it a treasure issue? Is it a treasure issue for you? Why don't you give more? Let's see what we learn here. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. And here it is, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Why don't you give more? You don't want to, most likely. Is it a treasure? Issue? You know, you remember the rich young ruler over in Mark 10 ran up to Jesus. You know, what do I have to do to, to inherit eternal life? And the, the master evangelist, Jesus Christ, can look at, could obviously look into his heart. He saw what was in his heart. He saw God. He saw, he saw a, a, a money, money as a treasure in, in his heart. He said, man, you've got to sell everything you've got because you're messed up. Right? That's never the, that's never the criteria for salvation. Jesus sees this idol in this man's heart. He said, you got to, man, you got to divest. Because you've got a treasure issue. You can't go with me. You love your money. Right? You remember the text? The young man's face fell and he went away grieved because he owned so much stuff. The context in that text is obviously about salvation, but it holds true as a principle for giving in contrast, over in Matthew 13, 44, we see, we see the guy that sold all that he had that he might possess the field. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, 
which a man found and hid, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. So there's this, yeah, there's this other issue is, is joy, right? From joy. So this man has found Christ. He realizes he is of infinite value and worth. Earthly wealth no longer holds any allure for him. He gets it. It would be stupid not to exchange worldly things for the eternal things. You know, well, I, I preached on giving one time in Milan, and I, I stole a sermon title from Randy Alcorn. He's a famous preacher, author uh, in the States. And my, my sermon title was Being Less Stupid. And I thought about that today. Maybe we'd use that. Being less stupid with what God has put in our hands. How do we do that? We honor Him with it. We honor Him with it. Right? Being... I want to be less stupid. I do. Karen and I talked about it this week. We want to be less stupid. Do we really believe... This thing about unfailing treasure. Do we really believe about purses that will not wear out? Do we really believe the text that Joe read? Do we really believe it? So, this guy in Matthew 13, 44, this man's eternity will be radically altered because he came into a relationship with Christ. The text is basically about salvation. But he also reveals that he has no treasure or trust issue with money, right? <laughs> so, don't you love that? I love that. I'm so like, I'm so like enamored right now. I want my, I want my eternity to be radically altered. And Karen and I have started, started to talk about it. You know, we need to look at this. Okay, I, I, I got a confession. You know, my social security kicked in. And uh, I'll be honest with you, being overseas for 20 years and I opted out of the Social Security thing for ministers and I never, had never personally known anyone else who'd ever done that. I had no idea how big of a hassle they would give me on this. I had no idea if I'd ever get my, the, the Social Security I earned the 20 years I was in business. I, I had no idea if I'd actually ever get it. But we got it. So I've got I, I to recalibra recalibrate, right? i got to recalibrate. The Lord has graciously provided for us in that way. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5. You know this. Do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle and it flies away. We have talked about this. You guys know this. You know, one reason God is turning our eyes toward heaven and away from the world is we don't get to keep any of this. It all goes back in the box. It's just like Monopoly. When the game's over, you don't get to keep one thing. Not one thing. Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. Make for yourselves purses which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. Randy Alcorn again, he says, God prosper prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of what? Oh, can you guess? Giving. It really does. It always does. It comes down to believing the promises of God. And we either do or we don't. Or we, tr we, we try to strike some middle ground, right? 
some safe middle ground. And I know all about that. I'm guilty of that too. I'm really convicted. It was so timely for, for, for me to be able to preach on money. It was so timely for me personally. I'm sitting there behind my little desk and I'm just getting all kinds of conviction at the promise of God. Right? That's one reason I love being a preacher. So we, some of us need to stop looking at the short term. What's that, 30 to 60 years? And look at the long term. Forever. Do you want it now? Or do you want it forever? What do you want? How can we be less stupid? And I'm owning that. I'm owning that. Jesus says it, doesn't he? He says, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And we all know that that's true. Let's pick up here again at verse 22, Matthew 6, verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye, and therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Simply, if we focus on the on the eternal, our eye is clear. We are in the light. If we focus on the temporal, conversely, our eye is bad. We're in the darkness. And again, Jesus gives us no middle ground. There's no middle ground here. Verse 24. No one. It's not like, oh, well, some people are shrewd enough to do it. No. He says, no one can serve two masters. You can't do it. God says it's impossible. You can't do it. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't do it. You can't do it. According to the Son of God, according to the red letters, as we, as we sang earlier, you don't get to straddle the fence on this. You have to make a decision. You have to make a decision. So secondly, this question, why, why don't you give more? I don't want to because I trust in it. It's either my treasure or it's my trust. I can't be open-handed with God and God's church. I can't be open-handed because I, I, it's my treasure or it's my trust. I trust my bank account. I trust my savings account. I like having big barns. Jesus knows us, doesn't he? He knows how foolish we can be. He knows we like to worry about everything. He knows we like to worry about money. So Jesus spends the next 10 verses dealing with the trust issue. So I'm going to read the next 10 verses or so. And I want you to listen for exactly what Jesus is addressing, okay? All right, pick up here in verse 25, Matthew 6. For this reason, Jesus says, I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink or for your body or as to what you shall put on. Is not, uh, 
life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so raised the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more do so for you? Here's the problem. O men of little faith. Verse 31. Do not be anxious then saying, Why shall, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. But what does your Bible say? God knows all about it. He knows exactly what you need. You don't have to worry if you're a believer. Right? It's almost like God says, well, listen, well, let, me, let me finish reading. For all these things, the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows this. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We believe that or we don't believe that. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. How many times did you hear the word anxious? Did you count them? Five times. Do you know that it's just the most unconfessed sin in the church? I'm talking about the church at large. It's sin. You, we're basically saying with our anxiety, I don't trust anything he just said. I really don't trust that. I really don't, I really don't trust that God says, hey, I know about this stuff. Oh, and I'll handle it. <laughs> I'll handle it. <laughs> Don't you love it? God says, oh, I'll handle it. I'll take care of that. So what's Jesus' logic here? What's his reasoning? Why can we be free from anxiety? Why can we radically give? Because God is God. Because he's, he's our heavenly Father. Because he does what he says he's going to do. It's the whole dominion in all things. Because dominion in all is true. I can believe that. I can believe Matthew 6. I can. I can live Matthew 6. And if I live Matthew 6, right? I can't wait to stand in front of him. You know, if I'm trying to dodge Matthew 6, if I'm trying to be shaky or shady with Matthew 6, I'm not particularly looking forward to standing before him. But man, if I'm all in with Matthew 6, yeah, it'll be a good time. Jesus says, Matthew 10, 29 to 31. I love this. And, and, and you know, you, you got to know this, man, or you can't, you're not, you're not going to be free to give. It's the dominion and all thing. But he says it this way, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Therefore, do not fear. You are of more value than the sparrows. The inference is that fear and anxiety would be warranted if Yahweh was not Yahweh. But he is. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is all-powerful. 
He is all loving. He is gracious. He takes care of his own. He's the good shepherd. You know, if you believe these things, you can just be open-handed. You can be open-handed. Randy Alcorn wrote a book. It's called The Treasure Principle. I'd, I'd commend it to anyone who'd want to read it. He says he thinks the biggest problem among professed Christians who don't give freely is this illusion that the, that, that the earth is our home. Uh, disobeying the command of Colossians 3.2. I think that's one huge reason. I do not think it's the, the biggest. Um, I believe the biggest reason that many professed Christians do not give liberally um, as they could is they don't trust Him. It's not just that I've made my home here. It's that I, I don't trust God. I don't believe the Word. I think that is the biggest problem. Anxiety over all this temporal stuff, and Jesus says, stop it. You know, stop it. <clears throat> do we believe He's sovereign? Do we believe He gives in accordance with His promises? Then we can be free and fearless. As Paul talks about there, alludes to in, in that 2 Corinthians passage, we can be hilarious givers. We can be carefree givers. Because our eyes on God, ours not on the church, it's not on the budget. You know, I told you last week I heard a woman say in a committee meeting one time, she goes, oh, the church has got a lot of money. I'm not going to give any money. Wrong! Wrong! You couldn't be more wrong! We, she didn't appreciate me saying that, but um, I try to be diplomatic, but I'm not always diplomatic. So, Lewis says, if you're doing your sums wrong, you need to stop. And this is God's arithmetic. God's arithmetic is overarching theorem, which is a proven proposition. It's a principle. It's an axiom. It's a comprehensive and fundamental law. God's arithmetic theorem is I take care of my people. Well, what if God doesn't buy me, uh, you know, a, a house as big as I want? Or what if he doesn't give me as much money in, in my investment account? Or what, what, if, what if I don't get the car I want? What if I can't wear the clothes I want? Seriously, are you talking about this? Beloved, we are on the edge of eternity. We are on the edge of eternity. None of us are promised the next heartbeat or the next brainwave. Not one of us in here. Right? So are you going to live like you're on the edge of eternity? Or are you going to just adopt the worldly propositions of hoard it and buy it? So God's proven axiom is, I'm God, I'm Jehovah Jireh. You know that Genesis 22:14 14 thing? Uh, Abraham was called to make this sacrificial uh, offering to God. Then God gives it back to him. And, and, and Abraham says, he calls that place and he talks about the Lord Jehovah Jireh. The name means the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it. If you're open-handed and you're giving from your heart, the Lord will see to it. He's Jehovah Jireh. He will see to it. 
We know the world doesn't believe that. So the shocking thing is how few professed Christians believe it. George Barna did a, a poll some years ago, and then he found that only 18, he found that only 7% of professed Christians give a tithe. He also discovered that 18% of professed Christians give nothing at all. Now, this is an oxymoron. You know, we had a lot of poor, well, not poor, but we had a lot of cash-strapped students. You know, they were, they were, they were getting their master's and PhDs. They couldn't give, they couldn't give much. And I always love that story, you know. You remember the guy, the guy with the, the loaves and the fish? He says, it's just, a, it's just this, it's just like, how many was it? I forget. Five loaves and two fish or something. Is that right? Or was it the other way? Okay. It's close enough, according to Dr. Bates. But God blew it up. It's not whether you have two or three or four zeros behind your check. That's not it. It's bring what's in your heart and what you can do based on your budget. And God will blow it up. What did we talk about last week? 100 fold, 10,000 percent. I love this other, the, some of the other things. If you study this gyra suffix here, a couple of other things I saw that it means. It means God's paying attention. It means God's going to become personally involved. It means God will give aid and support. So do you really believe that your God is able? So here's some promises from God. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord. From the first of your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Proverbs 11, 24 to 25. There is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous. He who waters uh, will himself be watered. Malachi 3, 10. Bring in the whole tithe. Of course, offerings are mentioned in this context into the storehouse so that they, there may be food in my house and test me. I don't think anywhere else in the Bible does God talk like this. Test me. I don't know. Maybe if you know of another place, tell me. I don't think there's any place else in where God says, test me now in this. And I will see if I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. You know, right there in that text, God asks, will a man rob God? Yes, all day, every day, a man will rob God. Unless he gets under the word of God and he, he understands this, it belongs to God and I'm a steward. If you get those two things right, it makes life a lot simpler. You would not dare rob God. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. You heard Job read the text. Press down, shaking together. Here's God's arithmetic running over. They'll pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, be measured back to you. Man, this is just like this huge, giant promise. Right? It's just, we either believe it or we don't. Now, of course, you remember, we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 9. Some of those promises, God is able to make sure you have an abundance for every good deed. He will multiply your seed and increase your harvest. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality. I almost didn't read that because of the stupid prosperity gospel has taken over some of those verses. But, but you know, we denounce it. The prosperity gospel is garbage. If you think you can come to God and play him like a slot machine, you have no idea what you're thinking about. You, you have no idea. You have no idea what the, what the Bible's talking about here. So if you sit under that nonsense and you have questions, you can come 
and ask us, we'll be happy to answer. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Stop being anxious. Your heavenly Father feeds the birds. He raised the grass of the field. He holds tomorrow in his hand. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. O men of little faith, stop being anxious. Believe, worship, invest in the kingdom. Be bullish. Jesus is bullish on the kingdom, right? He's long on eternity. <laughs> He's long on eternity. Some of the words I saw with some great teachers about giving. Let it be systematic. Let it be regular. Let it be sacrificial. Let it be based on biblical principles. Right? It's not to simply be emotional. But when you feel moved or sentimental or... So why don't you give more? Is it a treasure issue or a trust issue? If it's either one, I exhort you. You got to get out of that. You got to break out of that. You got to break out of that. Whatever the reason is that you're not free to give more liberally to God. Whatever that reason is, it's false. It's a lie. And one day you'll know that. When you see him, I, I, I don't have any doubt the, the first Within less than one second, we will know how we should have handled our money. And I, I hope the Holy Spirit is giving you an appetite to be bullish on the kingdom, right? And to take God up on His promises. You know, I read one guy, I love what he said. The side benefit to being open-handed with God, and it's true, draws your heart. It draws your heart to Him and to eternity, right? When you start to divest here, you know, and it draws your heart there, which of course is pleasing to God. So, are you believing God's promises? Are you living like He can be trusted? Let me just close with six uh, verse, Matthew 6, 31 to 33. I've already read it, but let me read it again. So here it is. Matthew 6, 31, Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. This is the Word of God. Let's pray together.